Okay, okay, he waited so patiently. Here's the rest of my conversation with filmmaker and divorced guy, Peter Maestre. Hi there, I'm Tracy, and this is the Essential Stepmom Podcast, your source of unconventional advice and inspiration for the womanly art of raising someone else's kids. Is it really an art? You bet. Nobody pops out of the womb with an instinct for step-parenting. It's something you practice and get better at, like anything else. And if you found this podcast, it means you're smart enough to look for someone who's been practicing the moves for a long time to stand in your corner and coach you through it. I'll share my wins, my missteps, and my analysis of what worked for my family over the last 14 years and why it could work for you too. If you like this stuff, don't forget to subscribe. And you can get more of me at EssentialStepMom.com. We left off last week with Peter saying, we can generate the life we want or we can react to it. I can't even tell you how this kind of talk lights me up. This is so exactly where I'm at in my own journey right now in terms of what I choose to do to generate the life I want to experience and to decide how I want to experience what comes to me. I also love that Peter talks about how having an unconventional approach to divorce actually felt normal to him. He just had to get over caring what anybody else thought about it. He was naturally able to choose his own reality but the people around him were trying really hard to pull him down into some kind of more conventional, acceptable way of experiencing disappointment. When you listen to Peter speak, there's no mistaking the sound of inner peace in his voice. This is some advice you want to both hear and listen to. His podcast is called Divorce the First Six Months. And here he is. The one big takeaway for me with with this whole process has been we generate what we want and we can create the life that we want or we can react to it and a lot of people react to it they're just reacting they're expecting life to give them something they're expecting this they're expecting that and they're not creating the life that they want and what i got out of my divorce was like i started to create it i started I started to take care of the things that needed to be taken care of, like my mind, my body, and my soul. And every day I did a little bit for each one of those. And the days that I didn't do something for one of those, those were not the best days. But the days that I did do it, man, those days were phenomenal. Phenomenal. Like I was just empowered. I was empowering. It was, you know, fun. And then when when sadness or any of the other emotional stages would pop up, they were just there like a visitor, you know, they came over for dinner and then they left. Yeah. That's it. So it wasn't like, a, you know, I wasn't having like a, somebody staying for weeks. Right. Like I was very unfamiliar with sadness. I had, sadness to me didn't exist the, well, until my divorce. And I didn't understand it, which was really difficult because I thought, oh, yeah, I've been sad. I've cried. And when I thought about it, I'm like, shit, it's been years since I cried. And it's not because I was suppressing anything or anything like that. It's just I just didn't have anything to cry about. I was living my my dream. I was creating my dream, which was to be married, to be a stepdad, 
I loved all of those things. I still love them. And just because I didn't, just because it's not there now, doesn't mean that it's not going to be there in the future. So I'm still creating that. I'm just, I'm just now I'm at the top of the ladder. I'm number one now. <laughs> and it should have been that way the whole time. Yeah. Because you cannot take care of somebody else. You can't make somebody else number one. As much as you love them, you have to love yourself first. And I learned that inside of my divorce. I learned to love myself again. That's so great. It's a beautiful process. That, I know. We talked about this when um, when I was chatting with you on your podcast about yeah. that that process. And I think that that whole, what you just mentioned about taking care of mind, body, and soul every day, those are things that fall into the general category of self-care, quote unquote, you know? And I was previously somebody who would have thought that anything to do with self-care was selfish because yeah. I was taking time away from looking after other people. How could I put myself like before my daughter, really? Like that was a hard one for me. And that, that imagery about the, you know, the plane and the oxygen mask, like I really clung on to that for a long time. That was really important to me. Um, and when I realized that, you know, they, it's not just a, it's not just a thing like, you know, put on your oxygen mask first and then help the other people or whatever. Like, why do they tell you that? Like, why is that a message? It's because your impulse is to do something different. Yeah. You have to fight against your impulse to put on your own bloody oxygen mask first, or you're going to pass out and you're no good to anybody else. Yeah. It's not, it's not something the airline just made up out of thin air. Like they had trouble with people that like get happened to people, right? Like they could see that I have a five-year-old next to me. I'm going to put the mask on them. Exactly. It's your, process. your reflex mm -hmm. is to do first for the other people around you. If you're a caregiver, that's certainly very natural to moms, but I think a lot of dads, my husband in particular would be the first in line to take care of his kids first before his own needs always. Yeah. So I had to wrap my head around the idea that self-care was my highest priority. And um, when I first, I'll tell you a story, when I first learned to meditate, I, I met a woman who was a, a, a therapist, a, a social worker, kind of family and marriage therapist or whatever. And she was an ordained Tibetan Buddhist nun. And I, I just felt drawn, I had to meet this person. And she agreed to teach me to meditate. And as part of our work, it was like not so easy for me to find a regular time of day when I could commit to meditate every day. And she said, bring your agenda over here, bring your calendar the next time you come and we'll find your times. And at the time I was working a million different places because now I was a single mom and I was like trying to get together, cobble together enough money to stay in my house. So I was doing a lot of different things and my calendar was full, like from morning till evening, randomly seven days a week. And she started by saying, okay, we're going to start by saying that you're not going to see any clients or students because I was teaching violin as well before 10 o'clock in the morning. And I thought, well, what do I do with the people who want to come at 830? She said, they'll come <laughs> after 10 o'clock. Like for me, it was like, they will yeah. like, I don't have to, you know, they asked me for eight 30. I, 
I don't have to say, okay, you know? So she first crossed off all the days. Like she just crossed everything off, nothing before 10 o'clock. And then she said, one night a week, you're not going to work after supper time. I just left. <laughs> like, that's impossible. That's impossible because I like, what do I do when a client calls and all my other evenings are already full? She said, they, they'll come next week. Like, really, I, I could, hadn't done that for myself before. And it felt selfish to me to block time off on my calendar that was only for me. And I'll tell you now, like I still, these 20 years later, I don't do anything in my business before 10 o'clock in the morning. That's my meditation time. That's my have a shower, eat breakfast, read the newspaper, whatever. But like, I refuse to start my day in a frenzy of like waking up early and getting ready to see somebody at 830 in the morning or whatever. I don't do it. It's amazing though how we put ourselves, you know, we built the life around that other structure. And then we have an epiphany or we make a, a choice. And then all of a sudden we have all this freedom like you just expressed. Yeah, it's a choice. Whoever is listening, just know that you have a choice. Create. Don't react. When you're reacting to something, it's like it's not working. It doesn't work to live a reactive life. It's so painful. Like I and I see, still see people around me um doing it and they're and it's it's they're unconscious to it yeah so it's beautiful for you to share what you just shared and hear the consciousness like being mindful of yourself of your importance creating you know structure around supporting your importance your time your development your growth and your desires like yeah. what you really really want not your sort of short-term gratification where your your brain is always going to be firing about like now 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 I want this now like I want to feel better now I want my pain to go away now like to stay connected to what you're trying to create for your future and then respond instead of react to what happens so that you can say okay right now I'm feeling all worked up about this but like what do I really want like, what do I really want that's not feeling better right now? Like, what, what's that? What's the carrot way in front of me? Or like, what's my long-term goal? And every day I'm helping people who are um, unaware of how much they are blocking themselves from achieving their long-term goal by the reactions that they're having right away. Yeah. And you, you very often have to do something counterintuitive or you have to have a mindset that is um, unconventional. But like what you said about like that your release from this terrible situation you were in was to tell yourself, I agree that she has a choice to, not, to stop choosing me. I, I agree, like it's her choice. I release her from that obligation. It was always hers to take that like that's an unconventional approach but it's brought you to where you are now but tracy when you say that when i hear you say it and when you just create it i'm just like like to me that's just like yeah that's normal why is it that so many people don't see that why is it that so many people don't allow uh don't choose their spouses cheating on them that don't choose their um exes not wanting to be with them why is it that they don't choose it? 
because you really don't have a choice. Like they're right. telling you, wow, I don't want to be with you. But there's no freedom until you choose it because it's like, all right, I, I choose that I heard that. You know, for me, it was I choose that I heard that. I choose that I that I sense that. I choose that that it's her choice. But for so many people, why are they not able? And I don't understand it. Like, why are they not able to just be okay with the person not wanting to be with them? I, I think it's, there's a shame piece. I think that you sort of hit it on the head. I think that the shame is so, um, we're hooked into old shame, some other shame that, that piggybacks onto this situation. And I think you just get, like you get dragged into the undertow of it and you can't get out. I think that the, the shame of that kind of situation is so powerful because it immediately latches itself onto some other capital S shame that you have in your life and then you're done. Um, like to turn that kind of situation into a disappointment from being the like evidence that you are not a worthy human being <laughs> or that you're unlovable that everybody's going to know that you're unlovable and that you're not worthy. And like to be able to flip that and say, well, I'm okay. This is a big disappointment, but like, I'm going to walk out of this and be okay. It'll hurt for a little while and I'll move on. But it's not, a, it's not connected to like some sinkhole of, of unworthiness. Yeah. When you say that for some reason, I don't know why, but it, like the, the phrase, um, the, you know, the good person finishes last, right? Let's say mm -hmm. it's a good person because it could be man or woman. And I think about that phrase inside of the context of what you just say, and I'm just like, the good person finishes last. I'm like, I've heard that so many times, like, and, and that they've told me or that I've heard somebody else say it. And it's always like, oh, you're a good person. You should know that you weren't going to get that. You shouldn't be rewarded with that. You shouldn't expect that. And I think that that's, sucks like i'm thinking about that statement now i'm just like that statement sucks no the good person gets to you know uh, women in my group i hear this all the time they say i'm so tired of being the better person yeah i'm so tired of having to take the high road and be the better person all the time and i just say you know what you get from doing that you get to be the better you get to be a better person yeah like you get I to be a better person like yeah. that's the reward and when I think about it, like in retrospect, after hearing you say what you just said, if I'm at the back of the line, that makes me the front of the line when the line has to change direction. <laughs> yes. So technically, I'm at the front of the line. Technically, you are right. I'm like, not going in that direction anymore. I'm going this way. <laughs> good for you, man. I love that. That's quite brilliant. Right? That is quite brilliant. Yeah, like I'm at the front of the line. I'm not at the back of the line. I can't yeah. wait to hear that with the next person that brings that up. That's <laughs> be like, uh, well, technically, in theory, you're at the front of the line. <laughs> no, that's brilliant. You know, that's like, um, that's like, what do they call that? Like um, in options trading, when you're when you short or something, right? Like you're yeah, short to trade. You're you're, you're kind of doing the the contrary of what everybody else is doing. You're betting on the thing tanking. And if you've done that and it tanks, you come out on top, like totally. So there's, there's always a, a way of looking at the situation in a way that you come out on top and why not choose that? 
Why not choose that? Like, why not choose that? You know, I've talked to a, just for example, okay, like it happens a lot in this audience that, that, um, you know, the kids are living 50-50 between two houses. And then let's just say for sake of argument that mom and her new partner decide to move really far away so that the 50-50 won't be possible anymore. And the, the child is going to be really far away. And, and the dad is just like fighting this tooth and nail and, and even, even engaging the kid in trying to see what a bad idea this is and how much conflict that creates for the, for the child and for the relationship with the, with the dad. The thing is happening. They're going to move. I mean, there could be some, I suppose there could be some legal stuff happening in the background where this may or may not be allowed according to the, the divorce decree but like to to play that card um sorry about the barking dog i hope you can still hear me talking we are um, real people so for those of you that are listening, yeah we're real people we live in real we're real people and there is obviously another dog walking outside my house at this moment how dare he anyway um no but you know i said what i would have done is to use that kind of like, you know, martial arts move where you you pull your opponent in your direction or you you lean into them to throw them off balance. I would have said, okay, this is gonna happen. Let's look at all the things that, that you need in order to feel okay in this new place. How can I support you best in this move? How are we gonna stay connected? How can we have our time together even though you're not here? What can I do to make you feel more confident when you're going there? What new things are you going to need that I can get for you? Like be the biggest booster of this new move. Yeah. And that's where the child is going to share with you their fears about like, there's no space to share their fears about it while you're railing at what a horrible person mom is for, for proposing this and how can she even think of taking you away from me? And, you know, if I were you, I would say you don't want to go or any of that stuff. Like there's no space for them to be vulnerable in that because they just have to put their guard up. But yeah. once you go into it with them and say, you know, I am going to support you 110% in this because I want this to work out for you. I want you to be happy there. I want us to still have the maximum connection that we can, even though you're so far away. It's not the conventional approach. No, it's not. And it should be, or it could be. It could be, it could be, but we, you know, it's just like how you react when you're getting cheated on. Like we get, we get swamped with all the big emotions around that and what it means to us. That's a different thing than what it actually is. Yeah. Yeah, and, I got uh, a lot of projections. That, that did happen. A lot of people projected what I should be doing. And they weren't really listening to me. They weren't listening to what I wanted. And that's one of the things that was really loud. You know, super loud in my head. How it was people telling me what I should do, how I should react. And, you know, that I should be angry, that I should punish. And in my head, I'm, it was too loud. It was like being at a rock concert when I really wanted to just like hear Kenny G. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> I want to hear a freaking rock right now. I want Kenny G. Yeah. And it was so loud that I had to really just sit and inside of meditation, 
understand because I had to listen to myself and what myself wanted was like, I don't want to hate. Like, yeah. I don't own her. She's not, she's not property. She's not property. Other people perceive that as a weakness. They did. Yeah. It's not a weakness. No, no. That's I'm being not. at the back of the train and the train turned around. Like now you're at the back of the train. You're going to carry this suffering around with you for, for years and years and years. Like, what's that all about? There's no cheese down that tunnel. There's no cheese down There's that no tunnel. tunnel. Get out of that maze. <laughs> they lied. It's just walls. <laughs> <laughs> Get out of that maze. Yeah. It's interesting though, but I love the exploration that we're um, we're doing because I'm having a lot of realizations around, um, you know, the choices, the choices that were made. And which is a testament to what I was saying earlier. It's like, you know, sharing the story again, every time that you share it, you get something new. But you have to be willing to explore, as we just did right now. We're exploring, you know, phrases, catchphrases. We're exploring emotions. We're exploring why people choose certain things. And these kind of conversations lead to growth and development because you're analyzing and exploring outside the box, that, you know, that constrained box that everybody kind of, you know, talks to you in. Oh, you should do this. You, you should do that. And it's like, well, no. No, 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 no. I'm in, what I'm going to do is what's honorable, which is to release the person. What I'm going to do is what's right, which is to choose me again. Stop choosing her, not choosing me. That's not. A There's choice. a lot of. I, I just want to touch on the the cultural um, the the cultural messaging around like a manly response to something, or like or around how you develop how how boys and men develop their emotional responsiveness to things yeah. that chooses um, <laughs> playing outside uh, there's there's direction to choose from quite a limited range of of responses yeah. um, there's like withdrawal and stonewalling and aggression you know anger expressions of anger mm -hmm. um there there could be a kind of a sensitive version that involves being depressed or falling apart or something but they're all that like they're these kind of caricatures of emotional responsiveness that become like ingrained ingrained or supported in our culture for how men are supposed to react yeah. in the in difficult situations like this yeah and it, it's all over and especially with the latin culture so like with us we're not allowed or my observation because nobody you know there was no real rule but the men did not um express themselves the men did not show vulnerability and i grew up with women like my grandfather was silent um, my uncles were, were strong men, you know, like, you know, machistas mm. and the men around me and my father wasn't a presence. So my mom was my mom and my dad. So I had a lot of feminine en energy growing up and I loved it because I think that I would have been a sad person if I would have grown up without having access to being vulnerable. If I think I a lot of men are sad people because they don't have access to that. Like, as you know, very well, the, 
the male suicide rate is astronomically higher than women in every category, divorced men versus divorced women, married men versus married women. Wherever you look, it's four times or more higher. It makes sense. Yeah. We have it's to dreadful, to but it's, we can understand it through that lens. Yeah, men are, it's an unspoken rule, but yeah, we should bottle things up. We should not share. We should not do what we're doing, which is why I'm doing what I'm doing. Cause I'm like, no, that's bullshit. That sucks. It just doesn't work. Yeah. It doesn't work. If you, if you keep the poison inside of you, guess what happens? You die. You need to spit it out or have somebody suck it out. Yeah. Like it, it, you got to get the poison out. If you get bitten, you got to get the poison out. Absolutely. You gotta go to the hospital. You got to treat it. You can't let the poison live inside you because the only one that's going to suffer is you. Yeah. You know? And by yeah. extension, the, the people around you, because it's not, oh. it's not fun to, to, um, to share life with somebody who is um, sort of that, that, that poison that's inside you leaks out onto everybody in yeah. like indefinitely you know it leaks out i don't think i've ever thrown a party and been like you know what we need who's really depressed from our friends let's make sure that they bring you know yeah. the soda and yeah because <laughs> we want them here first yeah. <laughs> 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 like who's who just got divorced yeah get them off the list yeah we don't want that, we don't want that energy here yeah like, Oh, man, let's throw divorce parties. I saw that on, on social media the other day. Somebody was like, they threw a divorce party. I thought, like, that's fucking brilliant. That's amazing. And there's another group that they have like chapters. They've become like this sorority fraternity. And they have chapters all over um, all over the country where people that are, it's divorced over 40. That's who it is. Man, oh, okay. Awesome. I love that. They're organizing. They're building like divorced over 40 armies. <laughs> for people to feel loved and related and they can share yeah. their story. It's amazing. It's amazing. You know what I mean? Building communities around this, this stigma that that should be a negative. It's like, no, it sucks. It's over. But all right now, now the new begins. Now well, the new begins. That, this is so in line with what I'm hoping to bring to my audience, which is both a better understanding on the part of the women of how our partners are processing their divorce. That might be recent, it might be happening right now, it might be 20 years ago. Yeah. But but what's happening in your partner's mind is is important and it's probably not on the table. It's important to your own, you know, happiness, it's important to your family moving forward that your partner is being supported in processing whatever feelings he's still carrying around from his divorce. And I love it that so many of the women who listen to my podcast are introducing their partners to it because those guys are listening and they're telling me that they're listening. And I want them to hear people like you who are reinforcing this idea that it's actually okay to have a different reaction than the one that you, you know, that people are telling you, people are telling you, even media is telling you which kind of reaction to have. And you don't have to do that. You can choose a different response. Yeah, you do not have to do that. You get to choose the life that you want. You get to choose what you want. 
And if you're going through something right now, like if you're listening and you're going through something right now and it sucks, get a piece of paper and write down what would make it better and then go do it. It's that simple. You have something that doesn't work. You write down what it looks like if it would work and then you go do it and you do it until it works because at least you're doing it. And that's better than the alternative of totally. something that doesn't work. That's totally. Sucks. There's a lot of fear around that. Of course, I think people are held back. Guys, guys are held back from doing the thing that would make it work because there's always, you know, some kind of fear piece about how will I look or what will people think or, you know, what if X, Y, and Z happens. Um, but I agree with you completely that it's, it's better to be doing something than to stay with it not working. That sucks. And it, and I feel so bad because I hear so many stories of people that, that are just sad that they're miserable and, and that they're operating as if they didn't have a choice. Yeah. Right? Like that's not true. You have a choice. You don't have to stay where you're at. You don't have to do what you're doing. You don't use the kids as a crutch. I don't have kids, but I've seen friends that use their kids as a, uh, as an example of why they can't be happy. Yeah. Just that was me. Stupid that sounds. That was that's me. Ridiculous. That's and now it sounds ridiculous to me, but at the time it made perfect sense. It does make perfect sense because you have the blanket of security that says, oh, this is why I'm doing it. No, do it for yourself. Like you need to be the lottery ticket. You need to be the winning ticket. You have to choose you. You have to know that you're worth it. Because if you if you don't choose you, then who is? You can't you can't put that on somebody else. Then you're going to be disappointed or it's not going to come out right. Like expectations for me has been the biggest downfall of my divorce. Because whenever I did, whenever I expected something, I was just always let down. But whenever I created what I wanted, man, it was like riding a unicorn at the Kentucky Derby. <laughs> Not only was I going to win, but I was on a fucking unicorn. Yeah. <laughs> you know? like, dude, that's awesome. Totally. But it, it takes something, you know, and it takes conversations like this, Tracy. It, it takes us talking and exploring about what's available and what, what's there now in order for people to really, like, listen and hear that there's a different way. Like, when I, when I was going through my divorce, I was listening to a lot of podcasts and I was researching a lot because I, I look for material. And the, the two things that stuck with me was one, the emotional stages, right? Everybody goes through the emotional stages. There's no, nobody that doesn't. So I was like, oh, okay, I got it. So now I know, how, I know what this race looks like, right? So I know that I got to get to acceptance in order for, for me not to, to hold all the, the weight. And the other thing that I that I really got was just um, me. Who am I inside of all of this? And who do I want to be? And when I separated who am I from who I wanted to be, what I had when I started, uh, you know, doing, as I said earlier, what I wanted to do um, and what worked, I got to be the best version of myself. And you can create that because it's the best version of yourself that's it not them <laughs> that's it yeah and you have power over that so you have to really choose you and and if you're not choosing yourself you know speak to a friend or your support structure and 
start talking out loud and ask them to repeat what you said so that you can hear yourself. Or grab a recorder, talk to yourself in a recorder, talk to yourself in the mirror. You know, we don't talk to ourselves. We talk to other people and we vent and puke and we don't talk to ourselves. I did a lot of mirror work where I just, I talked to myself in the mirror and I would see how uncomfortable I was talking to myself. So fucking weird. Yeah. It was so weird, but it gave me access to see where I was, you know, who I was. Yeah. I got to see every facial gesture. I got to see when I was avoiding myself. That was weird. <laughs> I was trying to like avoid and lie to myself, talking to myself in the mirror. Wow, eh? Right? That's how insane that is. And then, you know, but it was a friend of mine that suggested it. He's like, hey, talk to yourself in the mirror. And he had gone through a divorce. So I was like, I was just doing whatever. Anybody that, that was divorced, I would talk to them and share my story. And if they would give me advice, I would just do it. And it was great because I didn't have to think about it. I didn't have to, you know, create it. It was just like, oh, I'm going to do what they said because they said it worked. And I found that it did. Talking to yourself in the mirror, it's great. I do that now for, for when I pitch projects, when whenever I'm I'm do, working on something, you know, I do that. I spend some time in front of the mirror and I just, I go through my bullet points. I go through my, and it's a great exercise to really just get to see who you are. So, I love that. I'm gonna do it. Yeah, I'm totally doing it. It's super weird at first. <laughs> <It's just> <laughs> <laughs> so weird at first. I live with other people too. So they're going to yeah, say, yeah, no, that, is she okay? She's, I, I'm pretty sure. Is there someone in the bathroom with her? Like, yeah. That makes it even weirder. But, and then, you know, I'd rather have that conversation over dinner than, than like, yeah. oh, how's the weather? Yeah. I have another fucking weather conversation ever in my life. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I just want it to be rich and like layered. And let's go deep. Let's dive. Let's go. I deep. love that. I love that. This has been wonderful. Thank you so much for being here. Um, tell people, please, where they can find your podcast. Um, so you can find it on, on any major podcast. So like uh, Google, what's the other one? iHeartRadio, Spotify, Amazon, uh, Apple. But I, I suggest that you go to my website so that I get all the traffic. So www.divorcethefirstsixspelledout.com. So divorce the first six.com. And then that has a little, you know, a little bit about me. It has all of the episodes that I've, that I've uploaded and yeah. And that's where you can find me. Wonderful. Thanks again for being here. And we're going to talk again for sure. I will always be a yes to you, Tracy. You're an <laughs> amazing woman and I, I believe in you and I love what you're doing. So thank you for allowing me to be a guest and to share my story. Oh, that was my pleasure. Thanks. It's true. There really is an unspoken rule for guys to bottle things up. It's like, it's what you have to do to keep your membership card in the tribe. And the tribe hasn't yet noticed that this approach is leading to some kind of epidemic of suicide. Well, they're starting to notice with all the suicide awareness programs and media attention but it's really like putting the cart before the horse to say, reach out to that person you know who's in a bad place when that person has never learned to understand or articulate their own emotions, let alone to accept them. If you like this kind of raw, vulnerable talk, please check out Peter's podcast, Divorce the First Six Months. I'll put the link for that in the show notes. Another 
indispensable tool for those of us trying to move the needle on tools for men's mental health is the Visible Man Discord server. It really is a server. It's a service. It's a funny thing about that. I just realized that it's called a server, and you bet it is. It's a place for guys to learn how to talk about this kind of shit and to be surrounded with other guys to let you know that you're not weak or defective and that talking about your inner life is a pathway to cleaning up the crap that you're carrying around, to lightening your load, to being able to make different choices so that you can be happy and create the life you want to have. Please check them out at bit.ly slash visible man. It's open to both men and women. And here's how that works. The women are welcome in the welcome room to join a general discussion about how to support men who are struggling for any reason with life in general. Then there's a guys only room where men can connect with other guys and start figuring out how to have words for what they're going through by listening to other guys who are maybe just a few days or weeks ahead of them on the same journey. The whole thing is moderated by some other guys who have a lot of wisdom and a lot of heart. And the best part is it's all totally anonymous. Nobody will ever know who you are. You can just hang out there and lurk until you feel ready to chat. I'm told that they even have a wicked poker game there too. That's bit.ly slash visible man. You'll even see me there. Pop in and say hi. That's it for today. Before I sign off, I just want to say that whoever you are and wherever you're listening from, you deserve to create the happy, prosperous, fulfilling life you dream about. And you don't have to do anything to deserve it. It's your birthright. There is no problem that can't be solved. And sometimes it's a lot easier than what you're probably telling yourself. Sometimes it just requires a new insight or a different mindset. Sometimes your big unsolvable problem can be untangled. And when you see each little strand, you understand very clearly which parts are holding you up and the rest turn out to be no big deal. Sometimes you're taking on a problem that really belongs to someone else. You can carry that around for years before giving it back, or you can choose to let go of things that you can't control. Even if there will be some chaos at the front end until people get used to the new you who doesn't carry their crap around for them anymore. Sometimes therapy is a really big help. But if you've already been there and it wasn't what you were looking for, consider coaching as an alternative. Coaching is really nothing like therapy. It's not about healing your wounds. It's about the nuts and bolts of creating the life you want, starting from where you are right now. And if your jam is riding a unicorn in the Kentucky Derby, you want a coach who gets you and knows how to lead you to the winner's circle. Maybe you just like a coach who gets what it's like to actually live in a step family instead of someone giving you first family advice that will never work for you. Or one who can see around the corners of high conflict, custody issues, or parental alienation and help you solve practical problems that you didn't even see coming. 
If so, that would be me. I'm doing that right now for clients across the US and Canada, in Great Britain and Australia. Reach out at info at essentialstepmom.com or just go ahead and book a phone chat with the link bit.ly slash call Tracy, all capital letters. I have a couple of spots coming available in mid-July. That's not so long from now, so hop to it if you don't want to wait until September. I'll be back here next week with advice for raising kids and teens on the autism spectrum with Dr. Sonia Can Meland, who has first-hand experience with both her bio and stepkids, as well as a PhD on this very topic. See you then.